Good afternoon. If you have your Bible with you, would you be turning to the book of Obadiah? Obadiah. I won't sing the whole song for you, but uh, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah. And towards, towards the middle there, uh, one of those that's probably harder to find, maybe not as well-worn pages as some of the other books that you're used to. Uh, but we appreciate uh, the opportunity to spend just a few moments studying the book of Obadiah this afternoon. Um, I hope that it's been uh, an encouraging study even just to think about some of these shorter books for just a few moments, once a month or so. I appreciate Charles leading singing. I was disappointed to ask him to lead all the Obadiah songs he knows, and he said he didn't know any. So, And I was looking. I was double-checking him. I was double-checking. But uh, if you open up the back, and you don't have to now, but the back of your songbook, there is a, you know, there's the list of numbers, alphabetical, all those things. There's by some scriptures, and if you look up Obadiah in the back, there's not any. There's just a couple others from the Old Testament that there aren't any songs that are referenced around certain scriptures. Some of the Old Testament ones, Jeremiah and others, there's several songs that maybe coincide with some of the verses, but Obadiah is certainly one uh, that doesn't. Let me real quick, before we get into Obadiah, just remind you that we are studying the minor prophets currently. Uh, we've gone in order through the books of the Old Testament. Uh, the plan is to finish out the Old Testament, and then we'd actually, I'd like to spend a couple of months, or just a couple of Sunday nights over a couple of months, possibly looking at the intertestamental period between the Old Testament and the New Testament, and then come back and begin uh, the New Testament in the future, God be willing. But we have reached the part that's called the Minor Prophets, and we've said for the last three months now that they are not, uh, in, they're not minor in importance, but only in length. The Jews often called them the Book of the Twelve. In fact, uh, if you were with us on Wednesday night, we started a study. <clears throat> excuse me, we started a study of the Bible and how we got the Bible. And one of the things we're going to talk about this week, again, God be willing, on Wednesday night, is the idea of the canon of the Bible. And when you go back and you look at the, what we have in the manuscripts and things, there's different numbers sometimes. There's different. There's not always 66 or, or that kind of numbering. And one reason why is because sometimes the Jews would group them together. This is one way they would call this the Book of the Twelve. So the book, but the Book of the Twelve. And the minor prophets were uh, what, that, what they would refer to. We've said all along that the minor prophets point out about God, His majesty, His holiness, His righteousness, and His justice. And all of this is pointing towards <clears throat> the Messiah, and the idea of the coming Messiah, and even as long or as short as they may be, that is the message, that is the theme. And we're going to touch on that uh, for just a few moments then this afternoon. So when we come to the book of Obadiah, <clears throat> if you opened your Bible there, you'll notice there are only 21 verses. Only 21 verses. It is the shortest book in the Old Testament. It's the shortest book in the Old Testament, and it is one of the books that is not quoted in the New Testament either. Shortest book, 21 verses, and not quoted in the New Testament either. Now, I would invite you, if you can be back with us on Wednesday night, the next few weeks as we talk about Scripture and how we got the Bible, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about how that doesn't, that's not some kind of criteria that has to be met. But so many of the Old Testament books are quoted by Jesus and, and quoted by the apostles, but, but they're not, this one is not in particular. It's not quoted in the New Testament. When we think about the book of Obadiah, there's a brief outline. If you're making notes or like to make notes, let me give you a, a brief three-point outline. We might break it down into three sections. First of all, there is the vision, vision of Edom's impending doom. The vision of Edom's, that's E-D-O-M, Edom, the vision of Edom's impending doom. And that is verses 1 through 9. 
Now, if you have a, your Bible open there, you'll see from the very first verse this name, this idea of Edom. We're going to talk about that in just a second. Many of you are familiar with the name Edom, but we'll come there. But the first nine verses cover the vision of Edom's impending doom. The second section is Edom's sins. Edom's sins, verses 10 through 16. Edom's sins, verses 10 through 16. You talk to different writers, you look at different commentaries, they may break this down differently, but... This is just one way. So, number one, the vision of Edom's impending doom, verses 1 through 9. Edom's sins, verses 10 through 16. And then the third section is deliverance in Mount Zion. Deliverance in Mount Zion. And that's 17 through 21. Deliverance in Mount Zion. And it mentions that there in verse number 17. But on Mount Zion there shall be deliverance. Now this deliverance is in contrast to the fall of Edom. So let's talk about, uh, well before we get to Edom, before we get to talking about some of the history of Edom, uh, we're, let's talk for a moment about Obadiah. We don't really know much, right? But a lot of these authors, we don't really know much. Obadiah does mean, the name means servant of the Lord or worshiper of the Lord. That's what Obadiah means, worshiper or servant of the Lord. But outside of that, we really know nothing else. In fact, there are 13 different Obadiahs in the Old Testament. 13 different Obadiahs. Now, we know from looking at things that you know, none of them are connected or that he's not connected with any of those others. It's not the same person that's being talked about, but it is maybe not a super popular name, but somewhat common name. And so while we read about other Obadiahs, we don't know much about this one. We already mentioned the shortest book, not quoted in the New Testament. Let's talk for just a second about the date. Now, I don't know, some of you say, I could care less about the date of the book. Others say, well, it interests me just a little bit. Uh, as we talk about the canonicity of the Bible, again, on Wednesday nights, it matters a little bit. It can kind of uh, be important to the discussion of when books were written, even though we may not know for sure. And this is one of those where there are two dates. And you'll sometimes hear this when you study the history of the Bible, and sometimes you'll hear early, late, excuse me, early date, late date, early date, late date. That's the two choices that you have. And so sometimes there's a significant event that maybe is a part of it, like we're going to talk about in a second, but it may mean one or the other. So this is very highly debated. And, and I heard a brother say uh, that had done a lesson on Obadiah, he knew of many other preachers himself, good faithful brethren, that disagreed on which date might be the actual date of Obadiah's writing. Um, so, you know, we kind of have to leave it open a little bit. But let me give you the two. The first is 586, 586 B.C. 586 B.C. The second is 845 B.C. 845 B.C. Now, what's the difference? Well, well, of course, besides being early and late, the first one, 586 uh, the, the thing that we're dealing with is Judah's destruction, that Judah had faced, not necessarily destruction, let me clarify, Judah had faced an attack. They had been attacked. So around 586, we would know that that date might work because of that was the time that Judah fell to Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon, or around there, thereabouts. So it could be that it's 586 because Edom is gloating, they're celebrating in a sense that 
Judah has been taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. The second date, around 845, is when the Philistines and the Arabs attacked Judah. When the Philistines and the Arabs attacked Judah. Now, let me emphasize again. Some of you could care less or could not care less. Some of you say, this is very interesting. Some of you say, you know, the opposite. But neither one damages the message of the book. That's what we have to keep in mind. Neither one, going one way or the other, uh, damages the message. Now, I heard one brother preaching on this say that the earlier date of 845 makes more sense. And why is that? Well, a few reasons. Uh, Because there's no indication that the destruction of Judah is to the level of the Babylonian destruction. Think about what took place there. Just utter destruction. And so what Obadiah talks about is not this idea of utter destruction, although they had been attacked. Also, nothing is mentioned about the temple being destroyed. And we know that when Babylon came in, they were going to they did destroy the temple. And since Obadiah doesn't mention that, maybe it's not the, that first date. And there's no mention of Babylon or the captives or the Israelites being taken captive or being exiled. So, again, we, you know, we could spend all day going over lots of details that don't really matter and won't affect the message, but those are just a few things that kind of help us as we think about this. Now, the message of the book. The message of the book is Edom is going to fall. Edom is going to fall. And they're going to fall because of their pride and their conduct toward their brother, in a sense, Judah. We're going to talk about the history in just a second. We'll go on a little tour of biblical history. But Edom, they were unbrotherly in their conduct toward Judah. They are related because Edom comes from Esau. And if you know your history already before we get into it, you know Jacob, Israel, and Esau. Jacob, and Esau. So they are brothers, so to speak, and Edom in their pride, they were not brotherly in their conduct toward Judah. They had pride, and here's the thing. Whenever the children of Israel were attacked, especially when they did go into Babylonian captivity, Edom didn't just stand by. They didn't just stand idly by when when Babylon came. But they even joined in on the destruction of their brethren, if you will. And so this is their message. Obadiah is their message that they are going to fall because of their pride and their conduct towards Judah. All right, so let's talk for just a couple of minutes and refresh our minds on on the history of Edom. And if you have your Bibles and you want to follow along, we're going to take a brief tour through Genesis, if you remember. Genesis beginning in chapter 25. Genesis chapter 25. When we're talking about Edom and we're talking about Judah, we're talking about Jacob and Esau. Do you recall, as we touched on, was that last Sunday morning? My mind starts running already now. But we, at least a couple of Sundays ago, we talked about Abraham and Sarah. They had the son of promise in Isaac. Do you remember that Isaac married Rebekah? And then Isaac and Rebekah had Jacob and Esau. Of course, Judah is going to come through the line of Israel through Jacob and Edom is going to come from the line of Esau. And here's the thing. This rivalry between Edom and Judah goes all the way back to the womb. Do you remember all the way back in Genesis chapter 25, verses 22 and 23? 
but the children struggled together within her. Right? Within her, these children are already fighting. Brings whole new message to the meaning, right? The whole new meaning to that message as parents think about their kids fussing and fighting. But the rivalry began in the womb. They struggle in the womb here, and that is sort of prophetic in and of itself. Do you remember that as they are born, Jacob reaches out and grabs Esau's heel? And of course, the name Jacob means supplanter. And so this is when that rivalry begins. Jacob is chosen as the seed line of the Messiah. Now, it's not because that he is inherently a better person. It's not like they were lined up and God said, oh, well, Jacob is the better, just you know, naturally better person. But that's the way that, that Israel felt sometimes. Oh, we're, we're better than everybody else. God chose us, so how could we be lost? That's kind of the message through the prophets and these minor prophets. Why did God choose them? Well, it's because of the promise that he made of Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through, thir- or excuse me, one through 3. Jacob is chosen as the seed line of the Messiah, again going back to that uh, Abrahamic promise. So, do you recall in Genesis chapter 25, if you're still there, verses 29 through 34, that the story, the saga continues on because Esau sold his birthright for a bowl of soup or a bowl of pottage, we sometimes say. In fact, uh, Brother Johnny Ramsey, some of you know that name, but Johnny Ramsey sums up the book of Obadiah with this phrase. And this is kind of an interesting way. I don't know if you, if you have trouble placing the book of Obadiah. I don't know what it's about. I don't really remember what it's, you know, what it's discussing, what its importance is. Here's kind of a summation of the book in one short phrase. The high price of a bowl of soup. And that's what it is. The high price of a bowl of soup. Esau sells his birthright because Jacob had cooked this stew. Esau comes in from the field And he's weary, and so he wants some of it. And Jacob says in verse 31, sell me your birthright as of this day. And so they do. This happens. And maybe, you know, maybe there's something in that, this idea of the high price of a bowl of soup. So then Jacob receives the blessing of the firstborn. Turn over to Genesis 27. Do you remember the deceit that takes place there? As Isaac blesses Jacob. Jacob, <coughs> excuse me, deceives his father. He had help from his mother, but you remember he had the animal skin on his arms. He prepared the venison. And here's the deal. The Bible records this, even though it doesn't condone it, right? It's mentioned, it's recorded, but it's not condoned. This, this lying, this deceit. And of course, we remember in Genesis 27 and verse 23 that he... When Jacob went near to Isaac, verse 23, he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. And so he blessed him. You know, I think about these stories, these accounts, and it reminds me that we teach this to our children, and they don't know anything about the book of Obadiah, right? There's not too many children's classes that cover Joel, Amos, Obadiah, you know, all those things. But yet Obadiah goes all the way back to these stories that we do tell our children because Jacob and Esau are a part of this do you remember we won't go into great detail but Genesis 27 and 28 that then Esau planned to kill Jacob but he escaped he's able to escape that at that time and then all the way over in Genesis 33 they finally 
are able to come back together and reconcile. They're able to be reconciled. Jacob and Esau meet in Genesis chapter 33, and they have this reconciliation. But here's the interesting thing. Why are we covering all this? Why are we spending time talking about it? They later reconciled, they did, but their descendants never really got the message. And that's why the book of Obadiah is important. Their descendants bitterly hated each other. Let me ask you, if you have your Bible there, to turn over to Numbers chapter 14. Numbers chapter 14. Edom in Numbers chapter 14 refused to let Israel pass. As the children of Israel are traveling around, they're going to come through this land, through this area, and they're not going to be allowed to pass. And even though and they're going to have to make this detour, they're even going to have to go around, and they're going to have to you know, go around this particular area, and it's going to make it harder on them, they are not allowed to pass. And so when we think about the trouble here, they're going to face this hard time because you know they are refused to enter this particular land and so Moses says we'll go straight through we won't take anything we won't touch anything and they still said no and God said that he would remember this this would be something that would not be forgotten so again pointing the way towards Obadiah and the coming of that in 2nd Samuel chapter 8 2 Samuel chapter 8, we see that David conquered Edom and subjected them. David conquered Edom and subjected them. It's made mention of this there. So there's still kind of this discussion. There's still kind of this, you know, talking about it, trying to figure out uh, exactly what, uh, you know, what's going on between these two groups of people. And then also in 2 Kings chapter 8, 2 Kings chapter 8, Edom revolted. And they gained independence. They revolted and they gained independence. And so when we think about this, uh, again, just this long history, even though Jacob and Esau were able to be uh, reconciled, even though they kind of had this moment, their descendants continue to bitterly hate each other. So that brings us all the way forward. Then, if you want to turn back to the book of Obadiah, we'll make a few applications here, a few lessons And then the lesson for this afternoon will be yours. Edom, as brethren, did not treat Judah in a brotherly way. They not only sort of stood idly by, but they also participated in some of these things that were going on. And they were prideful. So the first lesson that we can take from this, and this is history, is pride goes before a fall. Pride goes before a fall and if you're making notes there you might jot down verses three and four verses three and four of Obadiah the pride of your heart has deceived you you who dwell in the clefts of the rock whose habitation is high you who say in your heart who will bring me down to the ground though you ascend high as the eagle and though you set your nest among the stars says the Lord From there I will bring you down. You see, what's interesting is Edom actually resided physically higher, higher up. So they are literally, quite literally, looking down on Judah. 
and their pride is there as well. Do you remember Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 18? We know it well. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Do you remember James in James chapter 4 and verse number 6? James says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Pride, our pride, can sometimes stand in the way. And often when we have pride, that's when we're going to fall. Edom was proud. They were actually proud in their high places, being above Judah. And that's going to come. Who can say that? Can we say that? Not necessarily. We're not guaranteed military success. But in verse number four there of, of Obadiah, from there I will bring you down, says the Lord. Lesson number two, hatred is punished or cruelty. Cruelty and hatred are punished. And verse number 10, verse number 10, for violence against your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you and you shall be cut off forever. Verses 15 and 16. <clears throat> for the day of the Lord upon all the nations is near. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your reprisal shall return upon your own head. For as you drank on my holy mountain, so shall all the nations drink continually. Yes, they shall drink and swallow, and they shall be as though they had never been. Cruelty and hatred will be punished. The problem for us, it's not always punished in the moment. We see Evil people have success. We see, we sometimes say the phrase, nice guys finish last. Well, that's because sometimes people who are cruel, people who are mean, they have success. They may get further because they're willing to do anything. But eventually, cruelty and hatred are punished. In the Old Testament, it sometimes came a little sooner. In the New Testament, in the Christian age, sometimes it comes sooner. You ever known somebody that was kind of a bully? Somebody who kind of always seemed to get their way and maybe eventually they were kind of brought down low? Well, that's not necessarily the same thing. God in his way of reigning, God having victory is a little different than that. But yet we often see pride goes before a fall and cruelty and hatred are punished. Connected with that, number three, we know the phrase, you reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. We won't read verses 15 and 16 again, but the same message there. You reap what you sow. If you are cruel and if you have hate in your heart, then you will reap what you, what you sow. Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. Paul would remind us of this. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. We touched on this Wednesday night in our Bible class when it came to the inspiration of the Bible and things that encourage us. It's a scientific principle, right, that things reproduce after their kind. That comes to tomato seeds. That comes to animals. That comes to all kinds of things. But it's kind of interesting. There's a similar principle here. You reap what you sow. If you sow evil, corruption, hatred, cruelty, that's what you'll eventually sow. It doesn't always happen in our time, maybe, in the way that we want it to happen, but it will come about. Number four, it is wrong to rejoice in others' misfortune. It's wrong to rejoice in others' misfortune. This is what Edom 
was doing. They were rejoicing in the failures of the children of Israel, of Judah. Proverbs chapter 17 and verse number 5. Proverbs 17 and verse number 5. He who mocks the poor reproaches his maker. He who is glad at calamity will not go unpunished. Sometimes we think we've got it all figured out. We think that we know the best kind of vengeance or revenge. And so when something bad happens to someone else, we have this human tendency to go, they got what was coming to them. It makes us just a little bit happy. It brings us a little bit joy. But it is wrong to rejoice in others' misfortune. That's not something that we should do. And those who are cruel and evil are those who do that. Then number, uh, let's see, what are we up to? Number five here. Number five and finally, failure to do good is a sin. Failure to do good is a sin. If you're still open to Obadiah, it's found in Obadiah verse 11. Well, let's go back to verse 10 if you happen to turn there. When Edom mistreated Jacob, for violence against your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you and you shall be cut off forever. In the day that you stood on the other side, in the day that strangers carried captive his forces, when foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, even you were as one of them. We think about the New Testament. We know of this parable, the story of the Good Samaritan. What do those folks do? They know there's an opportunity to do good, and they don't do it. James chapter 4 in verse number 17, the same encouragement from the New Testament writers James 4, 17, therefore to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. That's the message, that failure to do good is a sin. We have so many opportunities. We are among the most blessed people. May we take advantage of them as often as we can. No one is suggesting that you sell everything you have, that you just give your money over to every poor person that you see and just give it all up immediately. But we do have so much we are blessed with and we have opportunities to help. One final thought here, and that is the reminder that after the day of the Lord that is discussed in Joel and Amos and in Obadiah, after the day of the Lord, Joel ends with the idea that God will save those who call on his name. The book Amos, Amos ends in chapter 9 verses 11 through 15 with the idea that God would raise a house and include all nations. And so Obadiah, if, you're, if you happen to still have your Bible open there, notice verse 17. After the first 16 verses rain down the destruction in a sense, or at least the setting of the coming destruction on Edom, verse 17 says, but. It begins with the word but. Because all the minor prophets remind us that even though they had failed God and turned their back on him, but, in this case, on Mount Zion, there shall be deliverance. And so Obadiah 2 ends with a hopeful future. And even though it's real short, even though it's real small, it keeps pointing us towards the coming Messiah. And it was a reminder of evil ways and how we should avoid them, how evil will receive the punishment that is coming, even though it may not always be in our time. It's a very short book. Uh, you know, kind of maybe a little different than something you thought about before, but hopefully it's something that you can take a little bit of encouragement from even this afternoon. As we conclude this lesson, we do extend heaven's invitation. We ask you to consider your life once again. Maybe you're not evil, 
Maybe you say, I'm not like Edom. I've never been in that kind of boat before. Maybe that's true. But maybe even through the lesson this morning or your Bible class or maybe something that you've been considering and just a short study of God's Word, you'd like to take a moment this afternoon to make sure that your life is right with God. Whether you need to become a Christian or you need to come back to Him, we're thankful to be together to encourage one another, and we want to take advantage of this opportunity. You don't have to delay. You don't have to put off. You can be made right with God by becoming a Christian or coming back to Him, even now as we stand together and as we sing.